0: Good to be here this morning and worship together with uh, with you and and uh, just note too the it was uh, enjoyable being with the kids this week and with the adults. They had a good time. They did. I think the adults did probably. I saw them all hanging around Maxine's punch. So Maxine, it must be awfully popular because it uh, it really uh, well. Of course, I can't blame it on others because I was taken two and three times going back several times. so, But uh, I was sitting there uh, during the week and a little embarrassed because my grandson was acting up because he was sitting on the floor there. And I thought, oh boy, you know, it's always the preacher's kids, you know, they just, but, uh, but uh, anyway, my wife had to take him to the restroom and on his way back there. And, and I didn't know, I, I figured he didn't hear anything Donnie said. And he looked at grandma and he says, you know, I don't want to die. And so it was a real perfect opportunity, uh, you know, on our way. Of course, not that particular moment, just to share with him what Jesus had done uh, on the cross for his sins. And, uh, and so anyway, uh, sometimes our embarrassment is just, it's about us and it's not about them, isn't it? You know, so that's just the way it is. But uh, we have uh, <coughs> this morning, we we're going to talk about John in chapter two. And it's a really interesting uh, prayer because Jonah chapter 2 is kind of a contrast, if you will. If you could think about it, uh, chapter 1 is about how Jonah spiritually declines. He kind of goes from this, you know, this person who's a successful prophet who is really, uh, you know, historically was very successful, probably looked on and very popular prophet. And his spiritual decline, he, he kind of goes down, it seems like very quickly, uh, he goes down to, uh, uh, he gets a message from God to go to Nineveh, and he says no. And so he begins to do ther- certain things that uh, we would say is not typical of a prophet. Uh, all the prophets we would read about in the Old Testament, God said do this, they did it. God told Jonah to do it, and Jonah said, no, I'm not going. I quit. I resign. I'm out of here. And he goes down to the ship, and then he goes down into the, uh, to the hall of the ship, falls asleep, has to be awakened. And uh, you see Jonah, prayerless Jonah, down in the bottom of the ship. And we left him last week. He's down in the bottom of the ocean because he's inside the fish. And you say, well, you know, are you going to talk about is this a well? Was this a shark or whatever? No, I'm not. Because God, it says, provided or God prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. It's a miracle. That's all we can say about that. But what's interesting is that chapter 2 is how Jonah recovers. You know, it's like you see the spiritual decline in Jonah. But in chapter 2, as we read his prayer... And by the way, he's having a prayer meeting where? In the stomach of a fish. It's not not normally, when I think of prayer meeting on Wednesday night, you know, it's a building and so forth. Well, he's in the bottom of the ocean. He's in the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea. He's at the bottom of the ocean, and he's praying. And chapter 2 really kind of portrays for us how Jonah comes back. If you could think of it as on chapter 1 is his spiritual decline, and chapter 2 is his spiritual renewal. And if you think about it in terms of how we struggle as Christians, we understand that, right? I mean, think of the song, uh, Come Thou Fount of Many Blessings, to my heart to sing thy praise. And then it goes on to say, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And how often as as a believer, I know, uh, often I find that sometimes I find myself kind of like Jonah, declining spiritually. And chapter 2 is, is, is a way of, you read chapter 2 and you see this is how God revives his people. He revives Jonah, but I also believe he gives us some directives here, or if you could say steps or um, principles, if you want to, of things that, that God did in Jonah's life to bring renewal and revival to Jonah. And this is the same thing that God does when he brings revival to a community, revival to a church, revival in the, in the personal life of a believer. You know, Cyprian, uh, one of the church fathers, he, uh, he read John Ch- the book of Jonah and it was converted, you know, which is pretty, pretty interesting. You think, okay, it would be the book of John or it would be uh, the Romans or something like that. No, it was the book of Jonah that he read and uh, he was converted. And so we're going to be looking at this, uh, this wonderful book because it seems like, think about it, the worst thing that could happen to you in your life would be the very thing that God uses to prepare you to do something great for him. He hasn't gone to Nineveh yet, but God's preparing him to go to Nineveh, and God's preparing him through the trial that he's going through in his life right now. And I believe that this is the way God does in our lives. So many times we look at trials and struggles and difficulties and say, there's no sense in this. And yet this is the very thing that God uses in Jonah's life to get Jonah to the place where he can preach the message that God wanted him to preach. Because it's a message about something that we all believe in. But so often we sing it. I even wear the tie. (laughs) Amazing grace. And we forget that our whole Christian life is about the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life, and so we want to look at this uh, this this wonderful prayer. It's Jonah's prayer, but but as you read it it, it, it it you you're reading this narrative, and all of a sudden you have this beautiful poetic prayer that's that's exuberant, that kind of a, it just it just flows out of Jonah in the midst of his, uh, his difficulty and his trial. And so we're going to read that here this morning, beginning with verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall not again look. I, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed up on me forever. Yet you brought me up, my life from the pit, O oh Lord, my God, when my life was fading away. I remembered. The Lord, and that you, when you see that L-O-R-D cap, caps, I remembered Yahweh. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard or reverence is the actual word there in the, in the original. Reverence, vain idols, forsake their hope of steadfast love. And that word there could be translated grace. It's, it's, the, it's the hesed in, the, in the Hebrew, but it, it basically means grace. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. And notice how he ends it. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this text, it's a beautiful text for us this morning. And Father, may the lessons, the ways in which you dealt with Jonah and his life, uh, may we reflect on that as we look and reflect upon our life, upon uh, what you're doing and, and how you do it. For, Father, many times we find ourselves declining. Uh, Father, we've lost that hunger and thirst, that, uh, that enthusiasm we once had, uh, even for the things of God. And, Father, it becomes rote and just routine. And so, Father, I pray that by your spirit, you quicken that in all of us this morning, because, Lord, that's not where you want us to be. Father, the one thing that we need is the one thing that we ask you to provide, and to provide that by your amazing grace that we have in Lord Jesus Christ. And for this, we ask you in his name and for his sake, amen. Well, Jonah was declining. And the two things that we notice in his decline, actually three things, we notice that, well, first of all, prophets don't tell God no, so there's a pride problem that Jonah has. Uh, you just don't tell God no. But Jonah has a pride problem. He's, he thinks that uh, because of his success as a, as a prophet at this point, and you don't get that by just reading Jonah, you have to look at the historical background in the Kings, the book of Kings, to get that is that he was very, he was very successful and very popular. But he also has a problem is he stopped hearing and listening to the word of God. And then notice what happens after he stopped listening to the word of God. It says he runs where? From the presence of God. The very presence of God is salvation. The very presence of God is fellowship. The very presence of God is what eternal life really is all about, right? And that's what he's doing. He's running from God. And now God isn't finished. Jonah said, I'm finished. And I'm thinking probably if you're sitting at the bottom of the ocean and you're drowning, or at least if you're still alive, but you're, <laughs> I'm not sure what kind of consciousness he had, but he had enough consciousness to know, to cry out in chapter two, verse one. But we begin to see what God does. God begins to work in a mysterious way. Not the way that Jonah expected, I don't think, but I, but, but he does. He's, bring, he's kind of like saying, Jonah, you're a prophet. You're my prophet. But like my mom used to say, you're too big for your britches. You're just too big for your britches, son. And I used to say, what do, what do you mean by that? Well, in other words, you're just, you, you think you know everything and you don't yet. <laughs> and, and Jonah has gotten there. He's telling God what God should do. And God's saying, no, Jonah, that's not the way it works here. It's kind of like a parent. No, it's not you telling the parent what to do. It's the parent telling the child what to do. But, but you know, those, those shoes get reversed real quickly when you're growing up. You think that you're in charge. Well, Jonah has to learn that lesson, but he has to learn it the hard way. And the first thing that God does when he brings hard circumstances into our life is what he does with Jonah is that he humbles him. Thinking how humbled Jonah is Will have to be. I mean, he's he's at this point. He's at a he's. It, it's like okay, I've run out of options, right? the uh, The opportunity for escape is probably small to nothing. I mean, it's 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 there's there's no opportunity, at least from a human perspective. And yet, Jonah is it says crying out to the Lord, out of my where, out of my distress. He's broken. So God's bringing that brokenness back because, you know, the very heart of worship is this. A broken and a contrite spirit, what? God will not neglect. When we bring our worship to God, we we come with brokenness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for what? Theirs is the kingdom of God. And, And the first approach to God is a recognition of our neediness and a recognition of our neediness is to say, Lord, I can't fix myself. I can't do it on my own. And Jonah has tried to think, or at least in some respects, that he could do it on his own. He, he's gotten that, uh, he's kind of gotten that idea that, that he knows better than God at this point. And, and that it says he cries to Yahweh out of his distress. Uh, he's desperate. All your waves or billows are passing over me, verse 3. Verse uh, 3. Uh, He says uh, in verse 4, he says, You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. So he recognizes that God is doing this. God is at work in your circumstances and my circumstances. We can't ever deny that, that God is directing and, and, and orchestrating those things. And it's not necessarily God is after something. He's after Jonah's heart. He's not trying to destroy Jonah. If he wanted to destroy Jonah, guess what? Jonah wouldn't be alive. <laughs> I mean, or, or if he was just, you know, he, God is, God is using his, he's going to use Jonah's failure, his embarrassment. Have you ever been, been embarrassed, just done something stupid? And you're kind of like, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> I hope no one was watching. <laughs> I hope no one brings that up again. Well, Jonah's kind of at that point. He's at a low point in his life. Um, there's uh the story of uh, JK Rowling, you know, uh, her name just because she's the author of Harry Potter, right? You know, she's a very famous person, maybe not so famous on the left because I think her position on some things. But but one of the things she accounted, uh, she was giving a speech to a Harvard University to the graduate students there. And uh, this is what she said. This was in 2008. She, she basically pointed out that in her life, she had failed in a great and a very, she thought, thought was a very tragic way. Um, and she, uh, she said she had an exceptionally short-lived marriage. Her marriage failed. She had uh, her whole life began imploding. Uh, she was destitute almost. She said she was almost at a point in England uh, of being homeless. She wasn't, but she was close to it. Uh, she, was with ch- she had a child, uh, and she was, uh, she was at the end of herself. But she said to that group, she said, if she had succeeded at anything else, she might not, never have written that whole series on Harry Potter, that she said it was at her lowest point that she found success. That God used that to uh, uh, in her life, at least at that point. Now I don't know what her fa- you know where her faith is and any of that, but but on a not, so on a human scale even, our failures can be the place where God uses success, or we would consider it from a human standpoint success. But, but we see that all through Scripture, don't we? We don't see Jacob being such a great example of integrity, right? Because he's lying to his brother, cheating his brother out of his, his inheritance. He, run, he, run, he runs off to his father-in-law, who then cheats him for the next 14 or 17 years, however long that was. And, and then he has to come back and apologize to Esau, And you're thinking like, oh, boy, you know, this guy has just made a mess of everything until he meets the angel of the Lord who humbles him. And and then Jacob is walking with this limp in his leg, (laughs) and he's coming back. And God's using that Jacob to make him a leader. Isn't it amazing how God humbles first, and then he uses that? Think of Moses. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness, are, you know, in the desert before he became the leader of God's people. And you could say that about Abraham. You could say that about many of, of how God uses those experiences of breaking us, humbling us before him so that we will really learn to depend on him and on his strength. And so we have those examples all through scripture. But one of the things that that demonstrates for us is that we'll never know how much we need Jesus until Jesus is all we have. When all the, all the supports, all the structures rip out from under us, and in that moment when we're at our lowest point, like Jonah, is at the very point where we cry out to God and say, Lord, I need you. And sometimes God has to get us alone alone. I mean, you can't get much more alone than what? In the belly of a fish. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, 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 I don't have a phone to call my friend. <laughs> I need to talk to somebody. Hey, I'm in the bottom of the fish. Could you, could you help me? I mean, you know, you don't have texting. You know, you, you know, there's just none of that stuff. God gets you alone, and he gets your attention. And in that moment, you come face-to-face with the reality of who God really is. I mean, Jonah think about it he 's running from the presence of God, and now he 's crying out for what the presence of god <laughs> it 's just to me it 's an irony that shows how how dysfunctional I am as a person i 'm running from God saying i don 't need god i 'm not going to do His word, and then as soon as God brings a trial, of my Lord, Lord, I need your help, I need it now. Could you come and just deliver me from this? Uh, from this stomach of the fish and, the, and what he was going through. And so that's a, that's a key. You might say a key truth in Scripture is that you know, God humbles, but notice what else happens to Jonah in, in verse 4. He says, I shall again look upon your holy temple. You brought me up my life from the pit, verse 6, Yahweh my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you Where? into your holy temple. Isn't that, I mean, so God humbles him and then what, what happens? And is being renewed spiritually and all of a sudden he has this awakened longing for what? The presence of God. He's running from the presence of God and he wants God now. <laughs> I, do, you, do you find that odd that we sometimes struggle, we're running away, we want. We think, Lord, if you just let loose, if you just, if you just cut the rope, I'll just do my own thing. And God does that and he leaves us alone for a moment and we say, Lord, I can't do without what? I can't do without you. I can't live life on my own and trying to do it in my own strength when I need Your strength. I need God's presence. In thy presence, it says in Psalm 16, in your presence is fullness of joy. See, God created man as a worshiper to have fellowship with God. I mean, that was what the garden was about. The garden was about God talking to man and man talking to God, man and woman, and having fellowship. And then when that got broken, then God doesn't stop. He continues to work through history. What? To bring man back into fellowship. And here's a prophet who's, I mean, here's a prophet who's basically fallen into kind of a rote spirituality. He's going through rote religion. I go, to, I go on it was the Sabbath. I go to the temple. I, you know, The priest offers the sacrifices, and he says, you know, you've been forgiven on the Day of Atonement. And he's, he's, gone th- he's doing the rote of religion, but he's missed the very essence of religion. Um, there's one particular fellow that was a young man who, who died um, a few years ago in our church. And um, he, he got up and sang a song, kind of like what Leon did with, with a different song, but the heart of worship, and the heart of worship is what? It's all about you. It's all about Christ. And all of a sudden, we make it something that it's not. And all of a sudden, we, we, the presence and the joy and the blessings of salvation some way have dried up there. Jonah has dried up at a point, but now guess what? God's reawakening Jonah. That's what, that's what renewal comes about is when God begins to renew Jonah, Jonah not only is humbled, but guess what? Where does he turn in his humility and when his brokenness, he turns to the presence of God and he says, I want you. In fact, I'm going to worship in your temple again. <laughs> in fact, he's doing that right there. You're saying, but, but Jonah, you have no... GPS, You have no idea which direction, because you're supposed to pray towards the temple. He has no idea. He doesn't worry about that. Guess what? The presence of God. And he's worshiping. He's, he's giving thanks. He's, he says, I will. Notice that he's very, very uh, confident. He says, he says, I'm driven away, yet I shall look, verse 3, upon your holy temple. In other words, that's where the sacrifice was, was made for the sins of the people. It's the place where, the, where after the priest, who would take the blood of the sacrificial lamb and he would sprinkle it on top of the Co- Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant had the Ten Commandments. We've broken those commandments. He sprinkles the blood on that and it becomes a mercy seat. And then the priest comes out and he raises up his hand with a benediction. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And be gracious to you and give you peace. That's what he did at the end. And Jonah said, I'm going to worship again in your temple. And you're going like, Jonah, you have no hope of getting out of the stomach of this fish. And yet he still has this one sense that the only thing in life that really is important, when everything's stripped away, guess what? The only thing in life worth living for is fellowship with God, the Almighty, in his temple having his forgiveness, having that relationship reconciled in Christ through the blood of the covenant. And so he's yearning. He's yearning for the very thing that he was running away from, the very presence of God. It, it To me, it's just like, okay, boy, that's me all over again. I mean, think about it. You know, one of the things about renewal, I've noticed that churches... And this happens in churches, but it also happens in individual's life, is that there's this renewed sense of wanting to pray and get into God's presence. And if you want to kind of like measure, Lord, I I need, I need, you know, this is, by the way, this is the Psalms prayer. Read the Psalms, Psalm 80 and Psalm 81, 82. Revive me, O Lord. That should be one of the, the Psalms that we pray often. It's, Lord, I, there's, I feel dry. I'm, I'm struggling in my Christian life. Lord, I, I, you know, I read the word, but it's not jumping out at me. It's, it's just, it's just it's words on the page. Lord, revive me. You know, when you pray that prayer, God will hear that prayer. That's the prayer Jonah's praying here, in effect. And he's longing for the presence of God. The presence of God is what is my good. That's my blessing. In every revival, that, that seems to be very, that it comes right to the forefront of spiritual renewal. But there's a third thing here that Jonah sees, and that you can see it right at, is that there's this awakened appetite for something. It went dormant. Jonah knows what. He's memorized the Word of God. He, he probably has memorized most of the Psalms. But you don't hear any of that in chapter 1, do you? All you see is Jonah running from God. He suppressed, for whatever reason, he's kind of suppressed that. But guess what? As you read Jonah chapter 2, if you took away verse 1, and you read that and you didn't have a context, you know where you think you would be reading? They're all quotes from the Psalter. I mean, I, I, I did this when I started re- studying this passage. This is the first thing I did. Jonah chapter 2, verse 2 is taken from Psalm 120, verse 1. In my distress, I called to Yahweh and he answered me. Isn't it amazing? All of a sudden, the word of God becomes prominent again. Jonah 2, 3, taken from Psalm 42, 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and waves have gone over me. Wait there, Jonah didn't write that or did he? No, well, he expresses that in his prayer. He's praying the psalm. See, the word of God becomes real to you in the struggles that you and I are going through. See, Johnny Erickson, I heard her speak at one of a conference in Chattanooga. And and she basically said, let the the ways of of your, your struggle drive you upon the rock of ages. Beautiful expression, man. She didn't, and that's not her original quote because that was taken from Spurgeon. <laughs> but anyway, she, and she, she acknowledged that, by the way. But, but the point is is she's saying, let what you're going through in your life drive you upon the rock of ages upon the, to the feet of Christ. And that's what, what's what happening here. Jonah, the word of God is just coming alive. It's amazing. The word of God would come alive in a place least expected. In the belly of a well, whale or, or fish. And yet the spiritual renewal is taking place. And it's the very thing that God uses in our life to awaken us. God's wanting that word to be driven down into our experience. You know, like the deer panteth for the water. So my soul thirsteth after thee. You know, that could be words, but it also can be your prayer when you're in that dry spot in your life. And you're spiritually just dry and you're struggling. But when God revives you, he renews that hunger, he gives you an appetite for the word of God. That was another thing that's in revivals. You see uh, first grade awakening, second grade awakening. There was this revival, this, this hunger for the word of God. And in Amos chapter 8, verse 11, it says that God, Israel was, Israel's a picture of Jonah here. And what was happening is Amos was, was prophesying the same time to the northern kingdom, same as Jonah. But he said that God was going to give them a famine. But that wasn't a famine for, the, for food. It was famine for hearing the word of God. Now, brothers and sisters, we're living in a day like that, isn't there? Isn't there a famine for wanting and desiring to hear the word of God? Well, I want to hear what so-and-so says. And, well, if they said that and they said that and, and the 6 o'clock news said that and, and so-and-so said that, and all of a sudden, all of those voices are being what? We're absorbing that. It affects the way you think about life. But guess what? But what does God say? What thus saith the Lord say to us as his people? So God's awakening the word of God, but he's doing that. Jonah knows this. I mean, think about it. He's probably memorized the Psalter at this point. And yet, as you go through this, and I, I didn't even, um, Jonah 2.5, Save me, O God, for the waters have come upon my neck. Guess who quoted that? Je- Jesus quoted that. When he's on the cross my god my god why have you forsaken me that was written by david but jesus says that's my experience it was pointing to what i was going through i'm going through on the cross see spiritual revival can is is evidenced by this renewal renewed hunger for the word of God. I just can't get enough. I can't get enough. I can't hear it enough. I I need to read it more. I need to I'm praying that God would take it and make it real in my life. That's renewal. That's revival. That's the kind of thing Jonah is talking about here in in Jonah chapter two and, and all through here. So if you could almost so if you took away verse one, you could just see all the quotes from the Psalter, how God takes what he's memorized and made it real in his life. See, God's not interested in that you just have it up here. God's saying, I want it down here. What, where are your affections? What is it you want to hear? You want to, what is it you long for? And notice again that we'll move on here because we'll move on quickly here. But but the fourth thing that happens to Jonah in his spiritual renewal is this. He has this understanding, this new understanding of confronting the idols in his own life. Because you notice that right in verse 8. Those who pay regard or reverence, that idea of showing reverence, to vain idols, the empty idols, forsake their hope of steadfast love. I don't think Jonah is just saying this to get ready to preach to Nineveh. He knows they worship idols, right? I think Jonah was preaching that to his own heart because Jonah was serving another idol. It was called success. It was called, I've kind of arrived. <laughs> I've, I've got it together. Um, and there was a certain sense of kind of Superiority, because you know he didn't really like Gentiles at this point very very much. Uh, he he kind of you know he he you know he didn't want to go to he didn't want them to receive God's mercy. Uh, chapter four, even we we find out that you know he says, "I know that you're God of compassion and mercy, and I don't want I, that's why I got angry." But if you want to find the idols in your life, and by the way, Christians, we have idols. Why else does 1 John chapter 5, I think it's verse 21 or maybe it's verse 18. It says, little children, keep yourself from idols. We don't sit down and worship physical idols. But guess what? Anything, any good thing can can become a bad thing if it becomes an ultimate thing in your life. I have to have this in order for me to be successful, to be accepted, to... My life is going to fall apart if I don't have this. That's an idol. Anything that's more important than your relationship with a God can be an idol. I mean, we have them all over the place, don't we? I mean, think about it. Uh, in the ancient world, they, they had idols like this. Uh, Aphrodite was what? She was the goddess of beauty. Um, Aphrodite, um, we had the, uh, Ares was the god of war. Uh, uh, oh, actually, I'm sorry, it was, uh, yeah, he was the god of war. Um, there had a goddess of fertility and wealth, uh, Artemis. But think about, in our culture, what are some of the idols? Do girls struggle with uh, self-image, eating disorders? I mean, our culture basically makes it, that, you know, pushes that uh, We don't, we would say that's not an idol, but body image can be an uh, idol. Uh, It could be such an idol that it could bring on eating disorders, depression, you know, I need to be a certain weight, a certain, you know, frame and that kind of thing. Those are idols. But our culture pushes those all the time. Why? Where's they push them at? On television, right? Or, or, I mean, think about wealth. Wealth's a good thing, but guess what? Coveting can be idolatry (laughs) if I make that a sign of my success. Uh, in other words, we, we, we live in a world that, that's constantly shoving idols in front of us and telling us, you need to have this to be successful, to be approved, to be somebody. And God says, no, you're somebody because you're made in the image of God. And that's what Jonah, Jonah, Jonah himself has put his preferences before God. And he's made an idol of his preferences Now you're saying, but he's a prophet. He should know better. Well, I know because God judged Israel and Judah for the very thing. They went into exile for what? Idolatry. And yet Jonah has an idol, but it's an idol of the heart. See, see, idolatry really, essentially. Think about an idol. There's three things an idol demands. Love, trust, and obedience. The very things that what? We're supposed to love God, trust God, obey God. <laughs> An idol becomes a substitute God. And we, we, you know, in our culture, though, I don't think we think about it. We, even as a Christian, I've really struggled at times to locate the idols in my own life. Do you have idols in your life? Because those idols are going to do something. They're going to keep you. It says, what's it going to keep you from? The hope of God's grace and steadfast love you're looking to that idol that thing that you're serving and bowing down to and saying I have to have or my life is a miserable I'm gonna I'm a you know I remember as a as a you know as a a young pastor uh, trying to trying to change my son (laughs) you ever tried to do that well it doesn't work Uh, and I was more frustrated (laughs) And got even more frustrated because it, well, he wasn't turning out doing what I thought he should be doing. And then God struck me with the fact that I was making an idol out of trying to change my son because I was basing my success based on whether he would change or not. You know what God had to start doing? I had to start repenting of the idol in my heart. That was hard to acknowledge that that was idolatry. Lord, I've got a problem. It's not my son, it's me. (laughs) And once I got me out of the way, and I said, Lord, you deal with that first. Guess what? First change started happening. It started changing in him, but it wasn't the change that I thought would happen. It was actually better. (laughs) What I was doing was making it worse. You ever felt that way? And you said, boy, my parenting is really, you know, I always tell my kids, my, my oldest daughter anyway, I tell her I made all my mistakes on her and she sometimes agrees. But anyway, so the point is, is that the idols God has to deal with first, right? And he's dealing with, and guess what? Jonah's saying, I, I admit that, that the what I was looking to for I mean, think about grace, God's steadfast love, His his, hesav, his His grace, His unmerited favor is what I need in my life. It's not just what you and I, you need; it's what I need. See, I can look and I can spot the idols in your life, but guess what? I need to look in my own heart and say, "Where's my idols?" And that's what Jonah is beginning to do because he's looking at the Gentiles, saying, "I don't want anything to do with those people." In fact, I'm not going to go and preach to him. I'm, I don't want anything to do with him. And, and now he's saying, look, I've been reverencing. I've been paying attention to the idol of my heart. And guess what? And I'm forsaking God's grace because that's my only hope and that's their only hope. And how does he end this, this passage? Salvation is from who? It's of the Lord. <laughs> God does it all. I can't take any credit for it. I can't, I, I, you know, renewal is going to happen. You know, and you say, well, well, I don't like to feel bad about myself because, you know, uh, th- this is another thing I have w- with our society. You know, we've made self-esteem and God in itself, right? Well, if I say anything negative, then I might break somebody and crush somebody's feelings. Brothers and sisters, we have to tell the truth. You know, God says, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. And that in order for me to be saved, it cost God something. It cost his son going to the cross. That's something that people need to hear. Now, if that offends, I mean, Jonathan, uh, George Whitfield, when he was preaching this message, guess what that was happening to him in England? He was preaching this during the Great, Great Awakening. And they're throwing dead cats at him. I mean, can you imagine, you know, you're I mean, you know, standing up here and have dead cats thrown at you. Uh, dead cats and rotten eggs. Not, not a fun thing to have to deal with. <laughs> and, and yet, you know, he continued to preach. Guess what? There are a lot of people saved. <laughs> He told them what they didn't want to hear in order that God would use that. But then this last thing, and I just want to just touch on this last thing because it's something, actually we probably could probably do two or three messages on, that what does Jonah end with here? Jonah's renewal ends with a song of thanksgiving. And what's the thanksgiving about? It's about the fact that he, can't, he, he's, he realizes that salvation belongs to the Lord. It's of the Lord. God originated it. God the Son accomplished it. God the Holy Spirit applies it to your life. And guess what? God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sustain your life called sanctification and all that wonderful stuff. And then glorification, God finishes it. Salvation's of the Lord. And when you understand that, then you say, it's all of what? It's all of grace. In fact... It's amazing grace. Maybe we should get excited about grace a little bit more, right? Maybe we should. I mean, you know, a little bit of shouting now and then. That didn't hurt anybody. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, I I remember the first lady that started shouting in one church up in the head of Buffalo Creek before the flood. And uh, she just been whacking me all over the head every time she'd shout. And I kept ducking. And I said, you know, Lord, I don't want any of these. I don't want to be in a part church like that because that's too much excitement for me. I want to be in a little more calm. That's why I'm Presbyterian maybe. I don't know. But the point is, maybe some of that's not really all bad, right? We should be excited that salvation is from the Lord. And when we say that, we're saying that it's all of grace. I can't go and say, Lord, I'm just, you know boy, just, you know, look at all I've done. And God says, it's just all nothing. Because when I get to heaven and I, you know, and he says, here's the crown of righteousness and here's the crown of, uh, of eternal life, guess what I'm going to do? It says that, the, that, that those who, who, who stand before God's throne, it says they cast the crowns where? At his feet. Because what God demands, God gives. God demands repentance and faith from you and from me. And God is the one that grants it. I can't make you. That's the wonderful thing about witnessing to people. I don't have to save you. I don't wear any notches on my belt. You don't wear any notches. I don't notch my Bible. (laughs) Why? Because God is the one that saves. The word comes to a sinner and it prostrates him. And he, and he gets humbled by the word of God. And then God begins to do a, a, just a wonderful thing. It's called faith and repentance. <laughs> and even in, uh, Peter learned this in Cornelius' house. He went to the Gentiles, preached to the Gentiles. And guess what? He says, now we realize God's the one that grants repentance. Because if Peter was concerned, he didn't want to go to Cornelius' house because he's an unclean Gentile. See, that's the beautiful thing. It's a, I mean, this truth, and, and just real quickly, this truth is the battering ram against all of our pride. I can take no credit for what God has done in my life. It just knocks all the pride out of me. It's all God. It's all his grace. But it's a comfort for people who are struggling because, you know, as a Christians, we're going to struggle with doubts about our salvation. And guess what? My salvation doesn't rest upon my great faith or my little faith. It rests upon the finished work of Jesus. You know... You know, you say, well, you know, you need great faith. Well, I know that, but Lord, I'm just struggling now to have just in my little small faith. And guess what? Lord, increase my faith. But my salvation has been accomplished already. When Jesus said, it's finished, tell us the But it also gives me boldness to witness. It also gives me comfort to people. I can offer them comfort and have an assurance that, that my salvation rests upon something bigger than me; it's the Lord Jesus Himself. You know that's what this is. What revival looks like, and you know, I, and I'm praying that in my own life, that one of the things that you'll see, and I I'm look, I look for in my own life, is that Lord. You know, when there's a when there's a, a decline in in my, my spiritual life, I know the things that are going to start happening is prayer, more less prayerlessness lack of reading and hearing God's word and then I just keep it just keeps going spiraling downhill doesn't it I mean we, we've experienced that we, we are prone to wonder and that's why I think Jonah has written for one reason I think he's just trying to tell us this is my experience but guess what this is the experience of a lot of God's people if not all of God's people we have the decline but guess what we pray as the psalmist does in Psalm 80, revive me, O Lord, according to what? Your steadfast love. That's grace. Not my merit. Not because of who I am and what I've done and my family or, or whoever else. My dad's a preacher and his dad was a preacher and none of that. It's grace. It's all grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and and just use it in my life, Lord, to, to renew and to give us a renewed hunger and thirst uh, for the presence and for the word of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're